BatmanUniverse.net presents TBU Collected, a look at collected and reissued stories featuring the Bat Family. Hello everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe specials, and today we bring you a new series of specials, um, new to the website and to the podcast. Um, this series will be called TBU Collected, mm-hmm. and uh, in this series, we will be bringing you reviews of uh, graphic novels and and trade paperbacks that have been released by DC. So what you can expect in the future is if a graphic novel from the past is re-released by DC Comics, um, hopefully we will be getting a episode of TBU collected from the out of the the batman universe specials released within a short amount of time from the time it was actually re-released as well as uh collected versions of the original comics uh specifically uh just for example um the court of owls if that was all collected into a hardcover or paperback we would review that as one giant story instead of the individual issues like we've done in the comic cast so that's the idea. So joining me today is, in fact... This is Stella. This is Melinda. And this is Ed. And Ed is actually going to be leading the TBU Collected series, as this is his idea. So hopefully you enjoy it, and I'm going to hand it right over to Ed. Thank you, Dustin. And today we have the pleasure of bringing you a spirited discussion about the one-shot prestige format Gotham by Gaslight. The creative team for this story was made up of writer Brian Augustine, artist Mike Bignola, inker Pete Craig Russell, and was edited by Mark Wade. This story was originally published in February 1989 and is re-released in a multitude of formats over the years and was last released on March 12, 2013. Although the story does not have the Elseworld symbol that you'll see on quite a few of the stories from back in the day, it is generally considered to be the first of the line of books to be published. For those of you that aren't familiar with Elseworlds, what they were were out-of-continuity stories that put members of the DC Universe into different times, places, and situations. During Elseworlds Batman, he was made a vampire and was mm-hmm. dropped into many different parts of history, including the American Civil War and was even made a pirate. And in Gotham Guy Gaslight, our setting is the year 1889, and Bruce Wayne has been touring Europe. His final destination is Vienna, Switzerland, where he is studying with Dr. Sigmund Freud. Bruce talks with Dr. Freud about a reoccurring dream he is having, involving the murder of his parents. He decides that his time in Europe has come to an end and returns to Gotham City. On his way home, he meets Jacob Packer, an old friend of the Wayne family who Bruce refers to as Uncle Jake, and he was also returning to Gotham after spending some time in Europe. Alfred meets the steamship, and him and Bruce quickly return to Wayne Manor. Waiting for him there is a bad costume, which Alfred has hoped Bruce had forgotten about in his time in Europe. Bruce then goes and spends some time with Inspector Gordon, and is filled in on the amount of criminal activity going on in Gotham since he has left. The level of crime in the city is getting worse. One of the more interesting case files that Gordon shares with Bruce is the story of a man who has poisoned ten of his wives, and then, upon being caught by the police, attempts to poison himself, only to be left alive with a permanent grin on his face. 
as Bruce decides to begin his career as Batman, a series of murders of women begin to take place. The public is quick to put the blame on Batman for the crimes, but the truth is soon discovered that the butcher of Whitechapel, a man known as Jack the Ripper, has come to Gotham. The Ripper even sends Inspector Gordon one of his now infamous Dear Boss letters. Bruce Wayne becomes a suspect of the police since he was traveling in Europe at the time and is unable to account for where he spends his nights. While the police search Wayne Manor, a bloody knife is found under Bruce's bed, and he's arrested and charged with being the Ripper. Jack Packer acts as Bruce's defense attorney, but to a no avail. Bruce is found guilty and sentenced to hang for his crimes. While he's awaiting his execution, he is sent to Arkham Asylum. While in Arkham, Inspector Gordon allows Bruce to study the evidence. In this case, as the day of his execution draws near, Bruce makes a critical discovery. The Ripper uses the skill of a surgeon and also uses a knife that has the symbol of a medical group that his father was part of during the war. Bruce escapes from prison with the help of Alfred and heads directly after the Ripper. Once again in the identity of Batman, he interrupts the Ripper as he mere moments away from killing another victim. The Ripper leads Batman on a chase through Gotham that ends at the grave of Martha and Thomas Wayne. Jake Packer is revealed to be the Ripper. Jake was driven insane by Martha Wayne's rejection of his inappropriate advances. Since then, he has been killing women who resemble Martha. She has been laughing at him in his head, and he wants it to stop. It is also revealed that Jake has hired, had hired an assassin to kill the Waynes. At this point, Gordon and the police arrive. He confesses to being the Ripper and attempts to kill Batman, but is shot dead by Gordon. Batman disappears into the shadows, and Gordon knows the city has found its protector. All right. There is a quick summary of Gotham by Gaslight, for those of you that have not had the uh, fortunate to be able to read this. And the first question for discussion I have here is, the story is set in the 1880s. Through the years, we have seen Batman in a lot of different settings, and we know how much a setting can affect the stories and characters. Do you think that this setting is a good one for the character to be placed in? Does this setting work for a Batman story? And did you enjoy having a, 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 set, a story in this setting? Well, I think this is by far one of my favorite um, graphic novels in general because it deals with a specific time period, that, that late 1800s, early 1900s time frame. And to me, that is one of my most favored time periods because of the industrial revolution in the early 1900s but even before that with everything the the rebuilding of america after the civil war and basically the giants of industry coming to be who they were in that same time period it's my favorite time period in addition to that i really like the everything that has to do with steampunk and this is that specific era as well and I think that the steampunk stuff, especially, and you clearly see it when you see when you see Batman in his suit, which isn't as evident in this specific um, graphic novel as much as it is in the sequel. Um, but steampunk is very evident in this as well. So uh, there, there's a lot of really good things that are going for the series for me to really like it. But specifically, I think that it works well. Um, this this story works well as an origin story for Bruce Wayne set in this in this uh, universe. Um, according to DC, this does take place on Earth 19, so it is one on <laughs> one of the Earth uh, the 52 Earths that is in the DC universe. Um, and this has actually has popped up in the normal DC continuity uh, during 52 and Countdown. Um, they traveled. 
there was a group of, of heroes from the normal Earth that the normal DC continuity takes place on, and they traveled to Earth-19 and encountered Gotham by Gaslight Batman. So I think that, by far, I think this is this is one of my favorite, just surely for the fact of the time period, the steampunk, and the fact that the story itself works really well for Batman set in this time period. I think I've read probably more Elseworlds, if we can consider that this, um, of Superman. So this was perhaps one of my first Elseworlds for Batman because I've read uh, Speeding Bullets, which I guess you could consider either. So this was this is really fun for me. I definitely agree with uh, Dustin that just the historic <laughs> context is, is wonderful. I love seeing that. Um, and just because it's starting up... Um, the city, because it's not really got its uh, a good foot underneath it, it's kind of got this um, dirty underbelly to it. And even um, Jake, like in his part of his monologue, says that it's filthy and it's got this sort of bad miasma about it, just like London does. So it almost inherited that from its mother city. So it's a great place for Batman, I think, to take up shop i love the time period because they're even though the industrial revolution is getting started you gotta have a batman with tools and so you gotta think well what kind of tools can he use in this time period i love that he rides a horse at one point because that's just uh amazing batman on a steed um but he's got to use other methods of getting around and i loved seeing him jump from rooftop to rooftop so he's still got that but other gadgets, we don't necessarily see too much. Um, he still has his, you know, staying behind dark corners and everything like that. I also really like this because it's not a violent Batman, because there are some stories where he's just outright violent, like speeding bullets, even though I was Superman, but he was really violent. And I think that comes with the time period as well, because yes, there are gruesome things going on, but I think in comparison to all of this stuff and the news stories that we read about today, uh, that time period was probably less violent than we have now so it's great that the crimes really match the time period and i think batman fit with uh what was going on there so even even the panels thud i mean it's just not as violent a comic and it was great to see batman in there but steampunk it's great i love the costumes and everything and batman he's still a ladies man it appears even in this time period so i think it fits him well and you know, I think the city and the time period really have to show what type of character it is and, and how he grows from the beginning of the story to the end. And I, I think that it's able to do that. And I love that he was able to go to different places in the world in order to get his training, but not necessarily non-deparbat. You know, he went to other places and, and worked with um, intelligent people. So I, I loved it. It was great. Um, I also like the time period that it's set in. I love that he got to go study under Sigmund Freud and be in London at the time of the Whitechapel killings. Um, I think that the Jack the Ripper story is like, it, that was probably one of the first true crime things that I ever read. And it was the reason I picked up Gotham by Gaslight to start with, because I love the idea of Batman hunting down Jack the Ripper. Um, I'm not a huge, huge fan of steampunk. So to me, the gadgets and everything like that, it was to me, it was more, oh, well, of course Batman has gadgets, and these are what would have been available to him at the time. Um, but I, I love the detail that went into um, the speaking, like the 
the dialogue in it and how Mm -hmm. it was very clear that Brian Augustine worked really hard to make it sound like, you know, the north northeastern states at the time of the turn of the century because there were, you know, very upper class, upper crust, and then there was the working class and the way they spoke. And that dichotomy is really, really evident in the book, and I thought that was a very nice touch because that was one that would have been really easy to lose. Um, but overall, I just, I enjoy this story for the detective aspect of it because you can see him losing his mind trying to prove his innocence because he's so sure like there's no way I'm going to be convicted I'm going to be acquitted and then I gotta hunt this guy down and he gets that guilty verdict and the world just kind of drops out so I very much enjoyed this story in the time period it was set I really enjoyed the setting a lot myself and I think one of the neat things when you reread the story I mean the story is almost 25 years old now you know, and it doesn't. It, it unlike a lot of of stories or comic books we would read from the '90s, the dating of the story doesn't seem as apparent. I think that's why it's still a read a good read 25 years later. Is because since it's set in the 1800s, you don't feel like it's out of place because it was always out of place. You know, kind of when you read it. Um, but I do find that you know this era, especially uh, in the other Elseworlds books I've read, I think this may be the most fitting place besides in his normal continuity uh, for Batman, because it's, it's that dark area. It's, you know, the, even the title Gotham by Gaslight, the shadows. I mean, this is really an, a place where I think Batman could work very effective and it's shown in the book. So does anyone else have any more comments on the, on the setting of the book in the 1800s? Well, I just want to say real quick, uh, one of my biggest highlights ever at San Diego Comic-Con and the years that I've gone was seeing a cosplayer in a got in a Batman Gotham by Gaslight costume, and it was by far probably the best costume I had ever seen, because it was extremely detailed. You saw the the elements of the steampunk in it, but it was dead set on what the actual costume was. I just had to say that because I never I didn't really get a picture, which I really wish I would have gotten a picture. But I was looking for that gentleman who wore that costume for like remaining two days trying to find him so I could get a picture because it was so awesome but it definitely is a uh, interesting setting to put Batman in but I think that I think that it's it, it definitely has its its share of fans too because of the steampunk element as well yeah I'd agree it's almost like it, it, you cross over Batman with steampunk so you get a whole new audience absolutely mm-hmm. second question it may have been tempting for the creative team to have done a 1880s version of the Joker, Riddler, or another classic villain for this title, but instead they choose to go with a period villain who is nonfiction. Does Jack the Ripper work as a Batman villain in the story, or would you have rather seen another member of the classic Batman rogues gallery recast in the 1880s? You know, I think Jack the Ripper, um, it makes sense for the time period. Um, I think that I think part of the problem is that when you have a story that is set in that time period when Jack the Ripper was pretty much the predominant uh, you know villain of that time period it's 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 almost it's almost too difficult to actually do a story that relates to that time period and not have Jack the Ripper in it there's a show currently on BBC America and I'm sure it aired on BBC you know well well in advance before it aired over here in America but it's called Ripper Street and they actually deal with they're just coming off of dealing with the uh, Jack the Ripper case and dealing with 
basically it's the the gentlemen who are investigating it, but dealing with their careers after Jack the Ripper is no longer on the loose, or you know he he is said to no longer be committing murders. So um, that's a really cool show, and it, it deals with all of these elements that I already said of why I like this this uh, graphic novel, but. The thing that I like is, you know, I don't necessarily think that you have to have a villain, you know, from Batman's rogues galleries inside of every single graphic novel regardless. I think that if it's, as long as it's well written, you can do it without having a villain and just change them to fit the setting and time period. Um, But at the same time, I do like when the writers actually hint at villains and how they would be different in these settings or time periods. So, for example, we saw Gordon mention in the story the character that we would assume would be the Joker about how he marries he marries uh, rich rich old ladies and uh, poison them so that he can get the money from them. And, like, to me, you know, that's not necessarily who I think the Joker would be in that time period, but, you know, it works with the story as far as Oh, he took some of his own poison and it permanently gave him this this grin that stuck on his face. I like seeing those little elements where you bring Batman's rich history into a story that's, you know, stands alone by itself without having to focus very greatly on it. We've seen this in numerous other graphic novels where they've taken villains and they'll, you'll just see them pop up here and there or you'll see the how they've changed from the normal character that we've seen and I think that it was done really well. Um, here by not necessarily having to have a character that was from the Batman mythology. I think it worked really well. Yeah, I think because Batman's story has been told so often, when you know a new origin comes around or a new Batman story that's going to really start from the beginning, you've got to make it worthwhile. And And this was awesome just because it was so vastly different, I think, than we've read. And I'm sure we were expecting some main-tier villain, but I think it was great that um, the writers decided to think outside the box and, you know, they touch upon a villain that we were all going to know and, well, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, but, but then they really go to the time period and think about well, who was um, a big bad guy and that time period. And I think that this was, this was great because not only is he, I mean, he's a sinister man, uh, but he really pushes Bruce, uh, I think to his, um, intellectual ends, just like Melinda brought up that, you know, he was almost going insane with trying to figure out the details and how it all went together. But it was also, I mean, you could almost say a member of of his family. I mean, he called him uncle uh, when he met him on that that boat. So I think it's really close to him. So I, I think that it worked really well. And I'm sorry I keep bringing up speeding bullets, but I actually really love that story. Uh, I, I liked what they did there in that they merged Lex Luthor and Joker. So I, I don't think you always have to, when you have this new story, or if you go into another Earth, you don't always have to have the main villain. I think that people love to see little shout-outs to different villains but if you can incorporate the villain to the actual sort of thread work of the story i think that it works really well so i I was happy with uh, jack the ripper and i think it was great that it really tied into his origin stories and this is something also that we've seen just different origins of batman where 
someone actually may have hired Joe Chill for different reasons. Like that happened in Earth One, and it's happened in other versions of the actual Earth that we're on, uh, Batman's story. So it was great that it was connected in that way. And it almost looks forward to um, the Talon story that we read because, of course, it sort of all happened within the Wayne family. Well, it was related to things in the Wayne family. So to see a villain to almost uh, foreshadow that was really great. Um, I didn't actually realize that this was published in 1989, so I think one of the reasons that they may have decided to include Jack the Ripper would have been, yes, the 100-year anniversary of of the murders. I I really enjoyed the fact that it was a historical a historical killer who actually existed um, and was never caught because that that still lends that air of mystery. You can kind of end it however you want it to and explain whoever you wanted it to be. And they even included a throwaway at the start of the story when he's on the ship and they see, I think it's either the doctor to the royals or one of the royals themselves, um, because that is a common theory, that that guy was actually Jack the Ripper and he was being exiled to America. But I think the choice of having um, a serial murderer in Gotham would have been a very prevalent fear at that point in time because that was that was the biggest fear it was not you know crazy criminals like the Joker or Two Face or things like that. It would have been serial murders that were happening because they were happening in Chicago at the time. They were happening over in London, mm-hmm. and and the fact that they chose to illustrate that in Gotham by Gaslight shows a really good understanding of what people were afraid of in that time period. So I like. I like Jack the Ripper as the villain. I, I do like how, how the story turned out, obviously. And I do like the, the use of Jack the Ripper in it. I thought that the, the nod to the Joker was was very, very interesting just to put it in there as, as a nod to all the, the fans that are reading the book. Um, I do think he works well as a villain because, you know, one of the things we all think of as Batman is he's the world's greatest detective. And this is the one case that nobody was ever really able to solve. I know there's a bajillion theories out there about who it was and but yeah i think this is this really relies on on his detective skills and kind of would put him at the forefront of you know if, if this world was real uh, earth 19 was was real i think the next headline you see in one of these great newspaper clippings that are kind of put throughout the book is you know you know the batman in in, in gotham city has, has solved the mystery of jack the ripper um so i, I did like it um it would have been neat to see maybe an, another character uh, from the Rogues Gallery set in this time period, but I don't know if I would have done it at the expense of, you know, losing the Jack the Ripper story. Mm-hmm. As, as a, qu- a quick follow-up for everyone, did you guys ever fi- find it unsettling or, or strange when you read the book that this was one of the rare times that I can remember where Batman was fighting a real, uh, kind of a real killer as opposed to the made-up Rogues Gallery, that it was we're dealing with a kind of a real historical story from that viewpoint? Um, historical, yes. Uh, it's not the first time that obviously Batman has just gone up against a killer that's not uh, an exa- you know, a exaggerated character who has to have some crazy costume and things like that. But I think that from the historical aspect, I think it is kind of cool because, as it was already said, that historical element of it's a case that it's one of the most famous cases that was never solved, and here's Batman who solves the case. It just is showing that he, in fact, is the most, or is the best detective there ever really was. 
So I think that is cementing it even more so. But I I think that in some regards, it's almost it almost feels as if it's important to make this character, you know, very you know, solidify the character's intelligence and um, the, his importance by actually having this historic killer that he the that he apprehends. I think it's I think that's the most important thing is because number one, it was a case that was never solved. Two, it was a case that even if it did get solved at this point, they would obviously be dead, so they were never apprehended. So not only does he solve it, but he actually catches the person too. It's just proof right there that, you know, maybe the world does need Batman after all. I think it also goes along. I mean, it, it wasn't as if it, if, if it were the only realistic thing uh, dropped in this book, because maybe it would be a little weird if that were the case. But, I mean, Freud was a real person that he, he goes and trains with, whereas we're used to him training with um, other people like Bronze Tiger or whomever. Um, you know, so we've got Freud. I'm not sure if the, the detective was real. I'd have to do some... I feel like he probably was, but I'd have to research to see if Inspector Duchesne uh, was actually a real person. But I, I think that because everything was sort of uh, steeped in, in more realistic context, that it really works with the story. Um, I don't find it unsettling just because I spent a large portion of like my early years reading true crime. So I was very immersed in the case before I was ever immersed in Batman. I guess I'm the only one that thought I thought it was just I, mean, I liked it, but it was it was it was one of those things where it was like, well, you know, this isn't you know Victor Zaz or the Joker or something that's to make up. This this kind of weird creep actually exists. So, yeah. freak, hey, freak. could I ask a question real quick before sure, we go, go on to your new one? Which uh, if if they hadn't done um, Jack the Ripper, which villain of his gallery do you think would have worked the best in this context? Who. I, Victor's, I'd say Victor says would probably be the most, the the closest villain that actually would work since he's a serial killer who just kills for the pleasure of killing. I thought it would have been cool. And this is going to sound like I've, I've lost it, but I thought it would have been cool to see like a steampunk steampunk version of Mister Freeze in some way. Did you say this would be cool on purpose? No. <laughs> <laughs> just checking. Um, I think, yeah, Uh, as far as time period goes, and this is strictly from, sadly, a costuming perspective, I would have loved to see the Mad Hatter back in this, in this context and see what exactly he would have done um, and how, how they would have changed it. Because often he uses mind control hats and clearly this is a society that liked hats. So yeah, that's fine. And with that time period, you know, what would really work cool with that one is that would be the time period that Lewis Carroll would have been alive. Mm-hmm. So you could have had a real interesting story made with the Mad Hatter trying to go after Lewis Carroll and Batman trying to protect him. So that would have been really cool. Yeah. yeah. I think Scarecrow could have also been great uh, just because, you know, some of those images you see of him uh, is him riding on a horse. And so I think that that would, that would be wonderful and, and using um, fear to, to get at civilians. But, but again, I just wondered, you know, which one would work. And I think throwing another villain would have to change the story completely unless you go with Dustin's idea with Zaz. But I, I thought that this was great as is. Yeah, if you, if you just take the, the straight who could be very similar to Jack the Ripper from Batman's Rogue Together, I'd say Victor Saz. But if I was to want a villain from 
Batman's rogues gallery to appear in this time era to see who they could end up being. I think it would be really interesting to see. Um, I think it would be really interesting to see the Riddler, just because he would probably be, you know, maybe that private investigator, that detective type character that we've seen in some other incarnations of the Riddler. But I think um, it would be more about. I think that he wouldn't be the straight villain unless it was just revealed that he was the villain in the end, rather than just being the person who you're after the entire thing. I, I think that could be kind of interesting because he could end up being like a cop who's really smart, a really good detective, but then at the end he ends up being revealed that he's been doing these heinous crimes because he just wants to see if he's smarter than everyone else and if he can get caught, and I think that could be kind of interesting. Totally. We see Bruce Alfred and James Gordon reimagine this book. Though the setting has changed, do you think these characters remain faithful to the characters we know? I think overall, I think they are pretty faithful. I think that I think the one relationship that was a little bit different, as far as current continuity, was Bruce Wayne and James Gordon. When we see Bruce Wayne come back from Europe and he goes and visits James Gordon, the very chummy. Um, even when Bruce Wayne is locked up in Arkham Asylum, James Gordon comes and sees him and says, here's all the evidence, you know, I, I could get in trouble for giving you this, but I don't think you're the killer, I think you were framed, and that entire situation is great, and I'm not. To, that's not saying that James Gordon and Bruce Wayne don't have a relationship in current continuity, but I think that this, this, in this, this story, it's even more so that they are actually, like, real friends compared to just... You know, somebody who works with each other here and there, or someone who chucks money at the police department here and there, like we see in current continuity. Um, the one other character I do want to mention, which wasn't really, wasn't brought up, but also not a character that was focused on very greatly, was Harvey Dent was mm -hmm. mentioned as the prosecutor, or as the DA, the mm -hmm. district attorney for Gotham City when prosecuting Bruce Wayne in court. And it was actually kind of amusing hearing Bruce Wayne say, you know, I th he called me a monster. I thought we were friends. So it just shows that those two also had a relationship at some point, like we've seen in various incarnations of Bruce Wayne and, and Harvey Dent's history, as far as they've had history together. They were friends in the past. Um, so I thought that that was kind of interesting, too. It, it just plays very, very seamlessly with the rest of the con or the normal continuity as far as the similarities and, and things like that. It was just the relationship between James Gordon and Bruce Wayne, I thought, was a little bit more than what we normally see. And don't forget to mention that Harvey Dent looks like Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> what the, did anyone else notice that? Is that just me? Yeah, he looks doesn't look like the Harvey Dent we all know and love. No, he certainly does not. I definitely agree with Dustin. You know, that doesn't happen too often. Um, that that relationship, yeah, definitely good friends. And I think Jim Gordon is just way jo more jovial, I think, than we're used to uh, because – you know, he cracks a smile sometimes, but he's like, his mouth is open, he's kind of laughing, and doesn't seem to have the troubles that he does in modern day uh, Batman. And I think part of that is that it seemed as if the police force, even under Tolliver, was 
uh, actually a good police force. And that may have just been the fact that this is a 50-page book, so we don't have time to get into the fact that there may be uh, some bad things going on in the Gotham City police force. Uh, but I thought that was nice that we could focus on other things and that we've got a good um, set of young men working as policemen and we don't have to worry about that side of Gotham City. As for his relationship with Alfred, when we first met the uncle, uncle with quotes, on the boat, I wondered just with Bruce's voiceover and everything whether he was going to be sort of this Alfred and we weren't going to have an Alfred because he said um, – you know, just there was a closeness there, and he really liked him. And yeah, there were some crude uh, comments that he made. But I thought, oh wow, is he gonna be this Alfred? But then he came home to Alfred, and it seemed like his relationship with Alfred was a little more distant, um, just like very formal. It, it wasn't really the father and son relationship that I think uh, we're we're used to. Uh, but again, that could have been down to page count because we didn't really see them that much together. We see them when he comes home and then when there's the investigation in the house and then when he's at uh, the courthouse. Alfred still, I think, retains his, his manner, his stately manner and um, giving ideas or uh, opinions to Bruce and maybe he should turn himself in and everything. But the the relationship is more distant, I think, than, than I am used to. Um, I, I think that even though, yes, they are only seen three times together, the way that Alfred speaks to Bruce, it's very much, and especially in the time period, it's very much not the way that a butler would speak to the master of the house. Um, you know, he is giving him... Un, unasked for advice, unsolicited advice, and giving him opinions, and just some of the way he he speaks to him, it's very clear this man is not just a butler. Like he views him kind of as a father figure, kind of as a friend, and and as an ally because Alfred helps him break out of prison, brings him his bat suit. Like these, those to me were not uh, formal interactions. They were the type of interactions you would have with a friend and with someone you truly cared about. So I was happy to see that that relationship, in my opinion, was preserved in the book um, because because of the time period, it would have been very easy to change that that dynamic. And it, it would have been completely acceptable because, yes, this was back when people did not necessarily treat their servants very nicely. Um, the relationship between Gordon and Bruce, it was nice to see that they had a relationship, but I was a little bit a little bit sad that we didn't have any interaction, well, with the exception of the very end, interactions between Batman and Jim Gordon, because that to me is the relationship that I have come to know in the comics. But, of course, this being an Elseworlds and really an origin story, that wouldn't have had time to develop. But I would have liked to have seen that one go a little further, too. Yeah, I, I do think that that him and, and Bruce having such a... Uh, What's the chummy relationship? Um, you know, really is something that we don't. I know we do see Bruce and James interact, you know, throughout the series, but they seem to be friends, and I, and I think that's the way that, that that Gordon is drawn in the book. But he seems to be, um, you know, a little more jovial, a little more happy when he's around Bruce, and uh, that's something that you know I wouldn't be opposed to seeing uh, in regular continuity. But I think that is kind of unique to uh, to this title. Um, and, and with Alfred, you know, I, I think it's you know. That's something that Melinda touched on a couple times, and I agree with that. During this time period, the, the difference between the rich and the poor, there wasn't hardly any of what we would think of as a modern middle class. 
I mean, there was a huge divide between the rich and the poor then. And I think that, that Alfred just, you know, being, you know, allowed the, the liberties he is and the way he talks to, to, to Master Wayne would be, to me, shows how, how close they are. And, and, and I do think that it's just, you know, would be so different with, with, with the rich and the poor than that Bruce going out of his way to kind of fight crime and, and really help the, the, the lower class is, is kind of a theme I, I had in the backstory of the book when I was reading it was that here's this richer upper crust guy who is, you know, taking on crime, which is for the most part a problem of, of the poor in that area. In this story, we're treated to the fact that in the end, Jake Packer has decided to have the Waynes killed through an assassination, not through a true random act of crime. Uh, as Stella brought up earlier, this isn't you know unique that Joe Chill, the Joe Chill character, is sent as assassin. But in this book, it's it's focused on Martha Wayne. He was really going to kill Martha, and I think in most stories we've seen, it's always highlighted on you know, something that Thomas has done, a relationship that he's had. So I thought the fact that, that Martha is focused on a lot more than Thomas was interesting, and I wanted to hear what you guys thought about that. I thought it was – it's that aspect is kind of unique because we see a lot of times we see in various stories people who have had issues with Thomas Wayne and either he's too cocky or the fact that um, people are just jealous of him. And we've seen different incarnations of the, the death of the Waynes in, in in situations similar to this where we see, you know, people are going after Thomas Wayne specifically and Martha's just really caught in the crosshair and of course Bruce is the one who suffers the 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 grief of of everything because of because he lives. But I think that this was kind of interesting because it takes it from the different perspective of this person is more upset with Martha because she laughed at him, she refused his advances and in turn um, he goes and basically makes the Waynes pay for Martha's mistakes. And we don't see that very often. So I thought it was kind of unique. Uh, well, I think it would be interesting to know whether, you know, uh, this story or that part came out of the fact that we had Jack the Ripper and how could I connect it back? Or did the writers start with, um, I want Martha to sort of be... Uh, the catalyst for all this. I, I think that would be very interesting because part of me thinks that it just happened because we have Jack the Ripper and he has this, uh, I guess his his main victims are, are women. So how can we connect that back? Well, let's think about Martha and that's something that we haven't done before. So I almost wonder if it's just purely it, it came out of the story and that happened. I think it's great that we were taking it to a whole different level. You know, what's wonderful about this story is I think this is probably the third thing that's been wildly different from other Batman origins that we've seen, which is great. So focusing on Martha, uh, who's sort of the silent figure sometimes in Bruce's life uh, up until recently, uh, I, I thought that that was wonderful. And, of course, um, well... Poor Thomas. But Thomas was blamed somewhat in the end. But, yeah, the catalyst, I'd say, was, was Martha. I think that it's great that it's different like this, but I wonder if it just came out of the story and was more um, happenstance. Um, I think it's really interesting. One of the alleged Ripper victims was named Martha Tabram uh, over in England. I don't think that – like, she's been discounted more recently, but uh, I think – those decisions were after Gotham by Gaslight was uh, published. So that it, it could have been a case of, well, that's an interesting connection. Let's bring it back to Martha Wayne. I, I don't know, but I found that a little interesting. 
Um, I like this as as a this sounds really awful. I like this as a murder for the Waynes um, because I think that so often it's it's viewed as a random crime or it's you know explained some other way, and this was a very very actually quite personal crime for um, Jacob and also for Bruce because this is someone who he loved and grew up with as an uncle and so I think that that would probably change the perspective that Bruce would have on being Batman um, because it wasn't random violence it wasn't something that really could have been prevented with the inclusion of a hero in Gotham but I think he then also comes to the realization that, well, they need a hero, so I can be that hero. Um, and I think had the had the death of his parents happened in a different way, that might not have been the case. So within this context, I think that that worked extremely well, the fact that it was a personal crime versus impersonal. I thought it was cool, too, that you know we always get treated to or on the majority of times we get treated to a lot of extra backstory uh, about Thomas Wayne, about, you know, who he made mad, who he made jealous, uh, what good deeds he did or bad deeds he did that, that, that caused the death of the Waynes. I thought it was really interesting to have backstory, especially when in the 1800s, it would have been much easier to come up with backstory. I think for, for Thomas being, you know, a wealthy, a wealthy man in that, in that time period. So I really liked it. Plus I liked the, the fact that if you look at the fact that Packer hired the assassins, the first people that you know Jack the Ripper was responsible for killing was the Waynes. They were his first victim in a way. So I thought that was an interesting way to kind of bring the Jack the Ripper story full circle with the Waynes. I do want to bring up one other thing, though. I, I, I want to say that I do like the idea of um, the Waynes murder not being an accident, not just being you know a crime of a crime of uh, not a crime of opportunity, but a crime of passion as far as, you know, it is it is specific. They were murdered for a specific reason because of that. I mean, we've, we've seen this talked about in numerous stories as far as the conspiracy behind why they were actually killed and how it's plagued Bruce. And when he decides ultimately that it was just, you know, a random act that was committed by someone who had no one, no other reason to do it other than just to get some money... You know, to me, I actually like the idea of the conspiracy because to me it makes it a little bit more interesting and it gives a little bit more mystery to the the murders of the Waynes. Um, with this, obviously, the conspiracy is, is quickly, you know, turned into uh, a solution. You know, Batman has a solution in, the, in this incarnation, but I think the idea of something happening to the Waynes because somebody wants the Waynes out of the picture. I think that's a really cool idea, and, and I can see why Bruce Wayne would think that that was a possibility for such a long period of time. So I, I like that idea. But put aside the idea of the conspiracy, I, I do like the a, a specific purpose of why the Waynes were killed, regardless of whether it was for just uh, you know Martha ignoring the advances of Jacob mm-hmm. in this story. I think that it's it's really, I think it gives the, the, the purpose of Bruce a different purpose rather than just being a vengeful person who just takes out crime. He's, uh, you know, there's a, he has a, a different purpose besides being this, 
this uh, this vengeful character, he can be a character who's just there for good. And it kind of gives the character a different tone that you don't necessarily see in a lot of stories. I wondered, I was a little confused with the just the, the narration uh, over top of that scene, just when he's sort of backflashing was a little confusing for me. Because I was trying to figure out if, well, who... Which which was which was an issue, uh, but then I realized that Thomas was the one with the beard, and she was dancing with him. But at first, just the way that it was, because he felt that he was being led on, I thought that he was the one dancing with her and all of this stuff, and that she really had led him on. But then you realize that she was actually married the entire time. But I feel like the first read through, because I read that page a couple of times, it wasn't exactly clear that she was off limits. But perhaps that was for the best, since he was of not a right mind. So he probably. Thought that no matter what she was sort of a free woman but she turned him down okay here is my last question that i have when you read the book and bruce comes back on the ship he's met by alfred and they go back to wayne manor waiting for him is the is the bat suit so in in my viewpoint was Mm -hmm. in in this story he has the idea for becoming batman and then goes and gets trained and most stories i think he goes gets trained and then he comes home and you know has the idea of becoming a bat in year one classic mythology, he comes back, he starts fighting crime, he's pretty ineffective at it, and then he has this great revelation that he's going to become a bat. This story, it seemed like it was totally opposite. He had the idea for Batman and then went to be trained to become him. And I was wondering what everyone thought of that kind of reversal of that story. Well, I think that comes back to kind of the opening sequence when he's talking to Freud and he says and he's had these dreams about his parents being murdered and he, all he can really remember is the bats, the bats, the bats. And he keeps mentioning the bats, and then Freud wants to dive into it and, and want to talk about the bats, but Bruce doesn't actually want to discuss it with Freud. So to me, it's kind of interesting because he, that's, you know, clearly he got the idea of the bats. It's kind of like, it's, it's very similar to what we saw with Batman Begins, where Bruce is afraid of bats as a child, and... You know, it's something that he remembers when, he, as he's an adult, after he's trained, he, he he remembers his fear of bats, and he turns that into trying to make criminals fear him because he was afraid of bats himself. So in this regard, I think that he remembered the bats from that, that event, that traumatic event in his life, and he associated the bats with that traumatic event, and in turn wants to, you know, be that symbol that has haunted him for his entire life. Not so much about the fear element that we saw in Batman Begins, but more of the, you know, the symbol that links to his reasoning of why he is Batman. I almost wonder if he fears the bats, though. Uh, I think he recognizes that other people do, but with that opening scene, those bats save him uh, because they were really what distracted the gunmen. Who knows if it's Joe Chill punk style, but uh, (laughs) they're the ones that distract him from actually shooting Bruce. And so maybe it's less of a fear thing for him and more of a, you know, they saved me. So why don't I use them as a symbol in order to save, you know, sort of the the low and, and helpless people of Gotham. So that's a different take. I was a little put off by the fact that <clears throat> it seemed like he already knew before he went off on this five-year journey, because he was gone five years, with the, the thing already having been made, with his costume already having been made. Uh, I, I, I wonder if, you know, is this page count issue that, you know, he can't 
delve more into this and maybe he couldn't come back because he didn't have enough time to to actually make it but i guess it's good that he has this goal in mind uh that i'm going to be this symbol and here's my costume but i need to go train first uh but it does seem (laughs) completely backwards than than what we're used to because normally people um and, and you know we recently talked about this Tim really wanting to be ready, Tim Drake, really wanting to be ready for that Robin costume before he put it on. Um, So it just seems like, well, here it is. And I guess he was doing that. You know, here's this costume, but I'm not yet ready. I need to go off and train. So I guess it works either way, but it was a little strange for me. I didn't exactly like it as much, but uh, I guess in the end, you can sort of explain it so that it does make sense and work with the story. Um, Just touching on Stella's point, like, the exact dialogue is, I am next, I'm certain of this, next but for the bats. So to me it says, to him anyways, the bats have saved me, the bat will save others. Um, but I think there is also an element of fear where because the gunman does kind of look a little bit freaked out mm-hmm. by the appearance of all of these bats. So I think that, you know, to him, bats have saved him and criminals are afraid of bats. That's... Um, because criminals are a cowardly and superstitious lot, or whatever yeah. the, whatever the, the line is. Yeah, which to me never made sense, but I thought they did a really good job of kind of turning that and explaining it in these pages. So I, I liked the fact that he went and got trained first with the bat as the end goal, because that to me seems a lot more like especially knowing the the kind of person that Bruce is, that seems a lot more like the plan he would have had in mind. He does not strike me as a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of guy. And I think that this really wonderfully illustrated that by having him go train with all of the best people in the world, with the best inspectors, with the number one psychiatrist. It, he He was taking this very seriously. And so I am not surprised he had his costume waiting for him when he got back when he was ready to fill it. Mm-hmm. I also thought that this was probably the cooler introduction of the bats, as in not Batman, but actual bats in, into the Batman story. To be honest with you guys, I, I think that the idea that the bat saved him, you know, would 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 create more of a stronger bond with him and the idea of the bats. Um, I did think I did unfortunately just had this scene kept running in my head of of him dressing up in this Batman costume and telling Alfred he's going to go fight crime and. Alfred telling me he's not trained and said, well, I'll leave it here. I'll be back in five years. Um, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> it kept running through my mind like, well, you're not really trained yet. Well, I'll go to Europe, but just, just keep it warm for me. See in five years, you know? So unfortunately that, you know, kind of ruined it mentally. Maybe, maybe that's the reason why Alfred is so snippy to Bruce is because Bruce had to disappear for five years because Alfred had to convince him to go get trained. You know, that would be something that would be cool to see somebody do on, like, a a one-shot or a backup or somewhere where, where, you know, you could really see him, like, I've got this great idea, I'm going to dress up like a bat and go fight criminals, and Alfred's just be like, I don't know about that, man. You know, that's that's probably not going to work out for you. Um, But I thought it was interesting to have the suit ready. And Melinda makes a really good point. In some way, this does make a lot more sense for Bruce Wayne. He's always two steps ahead of the next guy. You would think that he would have thought out before he went out, you know, in classic mythology in a ski mask and started busting hudlums in the face that he might need a little more than a ski mask to go fight crime in the city. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, actually, Melinda's point's really good. This actually seems to make a lot more sense 
in that vein. I love the fact that if you look at his head mask, just sometimes you can see stitching. Uh, and it's interesting that you really see his eyes with this costume, which I think is something that we don't normally get with uh, with Batman because he really likes to be covered except for his mouth. But it also reminded me of Cass Kane just with that noticeable stitching in the parts sort of going together. But his, his costume really changes in the next uh, the next one, isn't it, of this story? Master of the Future. Yeah, so, so that's and, but you know, and it also reminded me Stella of you know Earth once the the recent <laughs> graphic novel mm-hmm. you could see how it was a cloth uh, costume where it was stitched you could see the stitching too and I was always wondering if that was something they got from Gotham by Gaslight showing the the actual yeah stitching. and I mean it makes sense with the time period because of course they had sewing machines but the armor and stuff that's something that they didn't really have and so at the end when he gets uh, cut across the chest with that scalpel I mean it makes sense that. It would actually cut him, and he'd start bleeding because he doesn't have that protection. So that was good. It's it's really you know more of a in this story. The really the bad costume is more of a traditional costume and not a suit of armor, as it's kind of become more modern. All right, so Batman Gotham by Gaslight. I am going to give a total of four and a half out of five batarangs. Gotham. By Gaslight, I'm going to give four out of five batterings. I'm going to go ahead and give this five out of five batterings. Whoa! Yep, I went Whoa. there. She did go there. I am also going to give this five out of five batterings. And if you don't like yeah. it, you should have your Batman card taken away, because it's Yikes. awesome. Um, Batman Gotham by Gaslight gets a total of four and a half out of five batterings. So it... Gotham by Gaslight is actually available this month. Uh, Ed, why don't you tell us what is actually different about this edition uh, compared to previous editions? Uh, The only change in this edition is a different cover. So that's everything for this episode. I want to remind everybody to head over to the website for all the latest news related to movies, merchandise, video games, TV, and, of course, the comics. You can also find all of the news and videos from the Batman Universe on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube including the Facebook group. Look for a Facebook group called The Batman Universe and get into discussions with all kinds of other Bat fans about everything related to The Batman Universe. You can also email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net with any questions, comments, or concerns, as well as leaving any questions, comments, or concerns on the actual post for the podcast on the website. With that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. And this is Dustin's right arm, Stella. And this is Stella's left arm, Melinda. Uh, I don't. This is Ed. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been listening to the Batman Universe specials. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>